The following is a conversation with Tara Anison, head of technical crypto advisory at Elliptic, a blockchain analytics firm that helps crypto companies stay anti-money laundering, AML, and know your customer, KYC compliant. This is the Atria podcast, where we bring light and ventilation to the crypto Web3 space, including conversations with some of the best people out there doing it. And Tara certainly falls into that category. I'm Joe McKeating. Please like and review the Atria podcast wherever you consume content. It helps us reach a broader audience and rank higher. Tara, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I actually wanted to start the conversation because you're one of my favorite people putting out content today. And one of the things I admire about the way that you do it is instead of speaking vaguely about it, you really get into the weeds with people. Um, so especially with scams and scammers, which on the surface can seem entertaining. But once we get into you know how dark this really is, it's not entertaining, uh, but you, you expose it in such a brilliant way, I think. So uh, recently you kind of got into it with a, a, a scammer on Instagram who was trying to sell this Bitcoin scam where they were promising certain returns and you played a little naive playing into it. Uh, but then we have to think about people who really would fall victim to this. And I think you exposed that really mm. well. So I think that'd be a great place to start if you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So I, um, because I'm in the crypto space on Twitter, get tagged on things on Instagram, I've often got people coming into my DMs with the most amazing opportunities for crypto returns. And uh, the classic one is Telegram, where they'll drop in and say, hey, do you know anything about Bitcoin? And I always reply like, no, what's that? Um, because it's just such a great way to understand what the current typologies are, how the scammers are basically interacting. And the reason I do it is because then I can write pieces to hopefully make other people aware and also collect the data for elliptic. Like what we do here is we put labels on addresses. So if I can find the addresses that these scammers are using, the cryptocurrency addresses, then we can put that in our tool. And if they then try and scam someone else and that person tries to send them some money through, say, Coinbase, Coinbase is going to block it because they're going to say, hang on, we know this is a scammer. So it's my way to kind of educate and hopefully protect. And so I always, well, nearly always say yes whenever I get a little bit of uh, the kind of bait comes through with the, have you heard about this great opportunity? I'm like, no, how can I make money? with it this sounds great um and on instagram i was seeing in a couple of posts like this lady being tagged again and again by clearly people who had kind of fallen for her scam and part of the scam was obviously her saying now go and tell the world very ponzi scheme-esque really kind of classic multi-level marketing uh, technique there so i was like great Let's message Sharon and see what she says. So I pinged her a message. We're like, this has a great opportunity. How can I make money? Like, tell me all about it. Posing basically as, as a naive investor looking to make a lot of money. And over the course of several days, um, because Sharon definitely wasn't based in the UK time zone based on her replies, but I kind of started getting into it of like, what do you do? How do I make money? And the first thing that I always ask to have like the the biggest red flag of all is, are the profits guaranteed? So we're on what we call a bear market at the moment, which means that the prices are they're always volatile, but typically trending a little bit downwards. And there's been a number of these bear markets throughout Bitcoin's history. It's nothing new, um, but it is harder to make a profit in these markets when the price is tending down rather than up. And so when Sharon said, yeah, 
guaranteed profit straight away I was like red flag no one can guarantee your return ever in right. life you know there's what is it there's three things certain in life birth death right. and taxes guaranteed profits are not one unless the US government and then I suppose they're guaranteeing a profit of your taxes but um and so soon as she said that it was like okay massive red flag here and so I kind of prodded her a little bit more I was like even if the price goes down she's like yeah, yeah not a problem we guarantee profits it's like okay well this is definitely not legit so I had enough kind of evidence from that kind of interaction alone to know that she was definitely a scammer I'd seen the red flags with her getting a lot of people to post about her her kind of bio was on Instagram was really odd like the classic beautiful woman loads of posts where you know it was her in exotic locations and then the bio line of it or the kind of caption line was like oh thinking about my crypto investments you're like yeah. mm, no you just look like you're at brunch with your friends so clearly it looked like her pictures were just being pulled off someone else's account and i haven't been able to find out who that person is to, to warn them but it looks like someone's just copying it a bunch of videos that she'd pulled across but every time she kind of got into talking about like oh i'm here at this conference about to talk about and then it would cut off. And so it was kind of teasing you as if she's at a conference talking about this Bitcoin investing, but clearly she wasn't. She's there about to talk about something else and the yep. video is being cut. So loads of red flags already. And I started to interact with her pretending like, yeah, I want to make this investment. And I always um, test the morals of these scammers as well. So um, I said to her like, oh, I want to put this money towards, I think for this one, I was like, oh, yeah. my, my dad's funeral. Uh, my dad isn't dead. But I was like, you know, really, let's like see if she goes, oh, no, okay, maybe, maybe don't invest. Nope, she was all in. She's like, great, yeah, definitely. That's such a good thing to put your money in for. You should definitely invest. Guaranteed returns. She really was like pressuring me on the sell, especially when I was like, I'd love to learn more. Can you like mentor me? Tell me how it works. And she very much was like, just trust, which goes against the crypto kind of thesis we have of don't trust, verify. And she wouldn't let me verify. She was like, just I'll make your guarantee profits, just basically shut up and send me your money. And so obviously I'm not going to send her some money, but I wanted to get the address off her. So I'm like, okay, like tell me the address. She gives it to me. And at that point I could, could just stop. I've got everything I needed, but I was like, okay, I want to figure out a little bit more how she's operating. So she gave me the address. I put it through our software and I could say it was for um, Busher, which is a cryptocurrency kind of exchange and wallet based out in Nigeria. So I was like, interesting, let's see if she admits to it being based out in Nigeria. So uh, I then tell her, oh, my exchange is like not processing this. Like, can you give me some evidence of, uh, of like where this wallet is? Uh, is it unhosted? She had no idea what I was on about. And so then we ended up having this like fictional chat between me um, as they're like, oh, help me. I don't understand what's happening. Uh, Miguel, who was a support officer who worked for Coinbase, apparently, he was totally made up. Um, and Sharon, who was just getting more and more irate when I was like, Miguel's asking me for this. What, what do I do? Can you send this to me? And she's like, Miguel doesn't know what he's talking about. I was like, oh, gosh, poor, poor Miguel's just trying to help the situation. And so we then ended up back and forth with this. Uh, eventually, I was having to create like doctored screenshots from my balance on Coinbase, a support email, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and she was just getting more and more irate, saying things like just withdraw the Bitcoins to your bank account and then send them to me from there. I was like, Sharon, how? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so clearly, you know, she was she wasn't one of these like really high effort scammers that put a lot of time into learning the knowledge and I've, I've seen much more sophisticated scams um, but I was kind of at this point just wasting her time 
because the more time she's talking to me, the less time she's talking to someone that's going to yeah. fall for this. So I was just kind of like stringing her along for actually days at this point, just keeping her busy. Um, and then, then in the end, when I kind of got all the evidence I needed, we'd asserted it in our tools so she won't be able to use this to scam other people who use elliptic because it will pull up to say this is a scammer at that point then i was like okay like why do you do this like like i know you're a scammer like what is what is it in your life that's kind of pushing you to to do this like is it a way of making money because you're um, kind of below the poverty line are you just a nefarious actor that loves stealing from people like kind of tell me your story uh, but as always um yet to find a scammer that responds to that final message they just kind of quickly run away from you basically uh, and often block you as well so you can't kind of post on their comments and stuff to say this person well well and because the, and because their response to that isn't in the script right i think a lot of these people operate off of a script and what yeah. you did was you disrupted the script um which which i thought was a really interesting part of it which is um i you know you some other people put out great youtube videos about this where they also will scam the scammers and sometimes I, i've seen one that's really funny where uh this guy on youtube he will know the script going into the scam and he'll start reading these things off and he'll say, so are you sure that I shouldn't have X, Y, and Z? And he's reading the next items on the script and the scammers aren't even picking up on it because they're just supposed to respond. But yeah, you know, it's bad when, you know, when you can make us feel bad for a fictional character, Miguel, who doesn't even exist because these scammers sometimes have no, uh, there's just no boundaries. And I think, that is actually something that I really appreciated when you put that report out was uh, it goes beyond the technical. It gets into the psychological as well, which you could have just exposed the the address uh, and said, don't and don't follow mm-hmm. this account and don't send money to this address. It's a scam. That's very surface level. There's not much emotional about that. But I think you really expose psychologically that there are no limits to where some of these people will go. No. And when you said, you know, that your father was sick or that you were, you know, trying to make an investment to get more money for a funeral or something like that, that's very personal, um, you know, very emotional. And that they'd say, oh, perfect. Go ahead and send me the money. These are guaranteed right. returns. Uh, there's obviously something so sick about that, right? And uh, I think that, yeah. I think adding that, the the emotional and the psychological with the technical was a was really powerful to me uh in that piece which also when you get into that multi-level uh marketing or or mm. or scheme and and appealing to people's uh emotion i think you wrote uh, a good piece as well about pig butchering didn't you and those kind of mm. love bomb yeah. schemes where where it'll be a psychological manipulation leads into a financial manipulation and scheme yeah yeah and those ones are just really pernicious because you kind of you draw someone in with the hope of love which is you know so emotive for people and then um, the reason it's called pig butchering is you kind of like fatten them up with praise and adoration and then you metaphorically kill them by taking their money and what we see in pig butchering is again there's you know really clear scripts that people are following on this so you kind of can see it coming but also you can't because you're so blinded by the fact that this person is showering you with compliments and in some sometimes gifts as well and what they're doing is they're kind of building up this 
relationship with you they'll start dropping in little hints of wealth so they might say oh what are you doing this weekend and you'll be like oh I'm like you know going for brunch and they'll say oh I'm just like hopping over to Dubai I need to do some shopping and you'll be like whoa oh my gosh this person must have loads of money they talk about it really casually they might throw in oh I just bought some more bitcoin the other day you say oh what's that and they'll be like oh it doesn't matter and they like start kind of teasing this to you just like putting those breadcrumbs in and then by the time they've built your trust they come in and, and say you know I could help you make loads of money I've made loads on crypto let me help you so it seems this kind of like nice gesture from someone who cares about you and really it's the start of them then taking you know hundreds but can be you know thousands and even hundreds of thousands of pounds taken from people so like really impacting of people's lives because at that point and this is why I try to bring out um, in the kind of way I interact with scammers and the moral question I always kind of put to them is that you know, it's not just the money that you lose, it's in the pig butchering, the fact that you thought someone cared about you, so you get yeah. that double whammy. And then also in, you know, my situations that I always put in are fictional about paying for a funeral or some kind of medical kind of care bill or something like that. But in many people, like that is why they're getting into crypto. They want to make money for some kind of like life-changing situation. And when they're scammed, they're not just losing money, they're losing whatever that kind of purpose was that they were trying to raise the money for as well. So you get that double whammy of um, kind of negative impact. Yeah. And I, I think uh, Sharon, who you interacted with, was there, it was Sharon? on the Instagram account. I, I yeah, think sure. that was in a little bit of a less sophisticated way playing into that where, oh, look, Sharon's at the beach. Oh, look, Sharon's on an island. Oh, Sharon's on a private mm -hmm. jet now. And it it, it, it plays into this um, uh, kind of emotional appeal to people about, oh, that could be me. But there's something even more devastating and sicker in a way when it's with a romantic relationship. And really interesting what you said there yeah. about oh what's that don't worry about it it's it's really complicated it's mm. I, this is pretty sophisticated psychological manipulation on the scammers part right it almost goes into did you ever read uh tom sawyer when you were younger there's a oh no um, i didn't well there's a there's a scene in this book where he has to paint a fence right he doesn't want to do it okay. uh but he you know, he, he acts like he's having so much fun and then people start to take notice and he goes, oh yeah, it's so much fun. And they're like, well, let me paint it. Oh no, 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 no. I'm having too much fun. I'm having too much. <laughs> and I think, I think, I think eventually Brilliant. they might even end up paying him or something to allow them to paint the fence. And there's kind of that type of manipulation in here, right? Where, uh, oh yeah. yeah, I just bought some more Bitcoin. What's Bitcoin? Oh, it's pretty complicated. And I've been really educating myself on this for years. So it's not really something you'd get into, but there's still this emotional connection between the scammer and, 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 and the person who's really just following a script. And yeah, that is pretty, pretty devastating. Um, are there, are there any others that you've, that you've kind of explored recently in terms of scams? Cause actually, you know, I would, I would really like your, your advice, both for people who have been in the industry for a while, but also, especially to new people getting into it, you know, how do you stay safe? Yeah, so I can I can definitely give some tips for that. But, um, I kind of outline a couple of other scams I'm seeing recently, and one that I'm um, I'm actually trying to track down to to find someone that will do it to me because I was on the tail end of it. So one of my friends um, who lives out in Hong Kong, so her Instagram is, uh, she's a small business owner of a coffee shop out in Hong Kong. So I'm always seeing these shots of her out and about having coffee and, and that's very normal content for her. And then one day I was catching up on her stories and she posted a story set of a picture of this 
really like posh car in a showroom saying just off to buy uh, my first car with some Bitcoin profits from at this lady uh, called Albina. Uh, thanks so much for your crypto advice. Mm -hmm. And so I messaged her and was like, Kelly, what's going on? Like, first of all, if you're going to talk to anyone about crypto, hello, right. <laughs> like, I will happily talk to you about crypto. But also I was like, I'm just a bit worried about this because you've you've never posted anything about crypto and like you trading, you've tagged this woman who I've just gone on her profile and see immediate red flags. Like, is everything okay? I'm worried you're involved in a scam. She didn't reply to me, which was another really big red flag. She is high communication kind of person. And then I'm seeing more and more stories over the next few days, no videos, just photos with tags on saying, uh, all my profits with Abina, she's the best. You should definitely use her for your crypto investments, guaranteed return, like all these red flags. And so I'm messaging Kelly again and again, like, you, like I need to talk to you, I'm really worried. Like this is, this is a scam that you're involved in. Like I, I need to help get you out. And she doesn't reply for about a week. And then I get a string of messages from her, uh, which were clearly from her. They're like, oh, my God, I've had the biggest nightmare this week. A scammer took over my Instagram account. And we kind of dug into it a little bit. And what had happened is she clicked on a, what she thought was a poll on one of her friend's stories. And it wasn't a poll. It was a link to give access into your Instagram account. And so she had clicked on it, it given this lady access. And for that week, she'd been posting content, videos um, of other people being like, Albina's the best. And um, that's the kind of stuff she posts on her um, on her profile and I've reported it multiple times to Instagram and they have not taken it down. And um, I tried messaging with Albina, but she obviously saw my messages to Kelly. So she's not falling for my bait when I'm like, how can yeah. I invest? So I need to try and find someone else um, who's had this done or currently going through it because I want to kind of track it a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, really kind of worrying scam that I'm seeing on Instagram because account takeovers, like if you imagine like Kelly straight away, I was like, this is not legit. Um, what's going on but someone else who saw her would have thought oh well my friend kelly is recommending this it must be legit and we know in like influencer marketing like micro influencers so rather than your kim kardashians and whatever a friend saying to you you should do this is yeah. way more powerful than a celebrity that you don't have that relationship with and so that is a really worrying trend i'm seeing on instagram because it's going to tap into that micro influencer behavior and the trust that you have in your friends so i think there's a there's a real worry that we'll see more of this absolutely i i've actually seen that uh on on friends profiles as well and and the same thing and i'll usually we're do you, were you only messaging Kelly on Instagram or did you also text and there was no response there? Yeah, I, I messaged her on Instagram, uh, but I, I think from what she was saying, because one of my other friends messaged me and was like, what's going on with Kelly? I can't get hold of her, um, that potentially they'd blocked other accounts as well. I'm not 100% sure. Because I've seen that with, with other friends. And then I had a, a pretty worrisome situation with myself recently where um, I think I'm of the generation that I don't log into Facebook much at all anymore. Uh, yeah. You know, early in the Oculus days, I had to connect my account and I still go on Instagram, but really not Facebook. And uh, I had a friend recently, one of my very good friends from growing up recently got engaged. And uh, so a friend of a friend, so one of one of his buddies from, from where we grew up, he and I were talking, his name is Mike, and he says, 
Oh, Anthony told me that you you messaged him recently on Facebook, and I most certainly did not right message him. And he said, uh, uh, "Yeah." And then he, you know, you said hi, and he said, "Hey, you know, you're looking forward to the wedding. It's been a while. How are you doing?" And he said that you just always wanted to keep taking the conversation back to blockchain. Uh, and I said, oh yeah. yeah, that was not me. So please tell him that wasn't me. And I went and changed all of my passwords and, uh, e everything else. But yeah, I mean, even the, the, the number of friends that I've seen this with on Instagram, this must be enormous right now with the amount of accounts getting hacked and then promoting, oh, I just made $10,000. I'm so yeah. grateful to so-and-so. And they're always tagging an yes. account. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm really surprised yeah. that Instagram doesn't take those, take those down faster, but, um, especially because I feel slightly affected by it myself recently. If you need someone to, uh, to go find this, the, this person yeah. who went after Kelly with you, I would be happy to message them on your behalf and, and send you those messages. Yeah. Let's set that up. Cause I want to catch Albina. She's annoying me cause her profile is still up despite me messaging Instagram you know, pretty much daily because she's still putting video testimonies up of people saying how wonderful she is. Well, th this gets into the next topic that I wanted to talk about, a uh, good kind of bridge here, which is, uh, do you see this mostly happening with Bitcoin, with the scams, or is it with all different types of cryptos and especially some of the meme coins that, you know, the Shiba Inus and the Doge, uh, wh where do you see mostly with the scams? Are they targeting Bitcoin primarily? So um, from what I'm seeing, it actually really depends on the typology. So the ones where it's investing in something, it's typically across Bitcoin, uh, but also I see a lot across Tron. So the uh, like the liquidity mining scams where you, uh, they're also silly, but they're like, oh, buy these shares in this mining company and then you get paid in uh, TRX for your like coupon. Like the language doesn't make sense in any way. Um, it's like, again, a very low um, effort lift by the criminal like they don't even try and learn how blockchain works they just spew out a load of words and those i've seen uh, with tron a lot um bitcoin is a really easy one for criminals to use because they know it's really easy for people to get hold of so they say you know pay me in bitcoin oh for that just head to coinbase and pay in bitcoin there's you know a really good amount of uh, resources out there about what Bitcoin is. It's covered in the news a bit more. So it's much easier to hook someone when you say pay in Bitcoin versus in many cases Tron or more like exotic assets. However, USDT and USDC, I'm seeing a lot more in what we call reverse dusting scams. So I wrote about this a couple of weeks back as well. So this is where um, I'm seeing this more in my um, Twitter DMs at the moment than anywhere else. And that's where someone will send you a message saying, hey, I've got money in my account, but I can't access it for insert some silly reason. Uh, here's my private key. Please, can you help me? And you think, are you crazy? You're sending me a private key, free money. Yeah. And you check it on, say, uh, Etherscan or something. And you go like, oh, my God, that is $500 in there. Free money. Yay. This is great. Um, really, what's about to happen to you if you try and move that money out? is that because it's in a token, in order to do a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain, you have to pay in the native asset Ether. So you pay the transaction fee or what we call gas in Ether. So you've got that $500 sat there. You think, brilliant, I'll just put in a little bit of Ether. Normally it's like at the moment like seven or eight pounds um, or dollars to, to put it in. So you put that in and then you get ready to move the tokens out. But in that short amount of time, that $7 that you've, been, you've put in has been swiped away already by the criminal. So for them, it's 
really small amounts. They're not trying to target the hundred thousands, but they're going for volume because what they're offering you or what it looks like is free money. So a lot of people will fall for that because they can see the money's there, immutably so, it's on a blockchain. They've got the private key. You know, even if you've got a little bit of crypto knowledge there, you think, well, if I have the private key, I have the money. So they think, brilliant, I'm not being scammed. Uh, but actually you are, it's just in a slightly new typology. And for that one, you're going on the tokens uh, because if you fill it up with ether, you can move it straight away. Yeah. <laughs> so for that, you, yeah, typically I'm seeing USDT, Tether and USDC, which is circles. Um, stable so, so they wait for you to put money up to cover the gas fees and then they what, cancel the transaction, but steal what you were putting up for the gas fee. Is that how it works? So so it's as soon as you put that money in, they just create a transaction to move that money and the tokens out. Um, the the waiter, and we've been joking about this at work as well, uh, potentially working with flashbots to basically front run them. Right. <laughs> so creating uh, what you, you call a, a flash loan or a, a transaction, uh, which has a, or a series of transactions in a single block. So you can do kind of multiple sequential events at once. Uh, it doesn't necessarily look like that on the surface. So you would be kind of trying to beat the, uh, the scammer to it. So you would have a transaction that puts the ether in, but you would have another transaction in the same block that then moves the tokens out. And you would need to be collaborating with uh, currently a miner on the Ethereum blockchain, soon to be validators, to do those two transactions in sequence in the same block. Because if you do them in one block for the ether going in, the next block for the tokens coming out, you'll you'll be beaten to it by the scammer who's keeping a tight watch on that. So we've been joking about whether uh, us or Flashbots should maybe uh, kind of offer a service, basically, of front running the scammers on this one and stealing all, all yeah. of their money. Um, but I haven't seen it, sadly, uh, kind of happening yet. So if Flashbots, anyone from them are watching, I think you should do this because it's white hat hacking. It's for the good of the community that these scammers have it. Yeah, and then what, what would the white hat hackers do with the, the funds? Would they return them to users or? Yeah, I mean, that would be the best thing. I always love it when people get their money back from being scammed. So either return it to the users directly or there's so many charities out there that accept crypto now. So you would have your kind of an open field of who you wanted to donate to and then that money would be used for for good in that regard as well so so any sure. any flashbot advocates out there make this happen this is the the 21st century equivalent of uh being a robin hood basically <laughs> um, very much so, so back to the bitcoin conversation so you've described yourself as a bitcoin minimalist if i'm saying that correctly and i think yeah. that i fall <laughs> in the same in the same category um i was probably a little bit farther away from that and then actually um uh attending Bitcoin 2022 in Miami this year, where I think you've probably been around that crowd as well, which is very interesting. But uh, just to put it lightly for people listening who aren't as familiar, this crowd typically, and everybody's a little bit different, but uh, you, you could generalize this crowd as not being too open-minded or friendly to other cryptos. It is, Bitcoin is it, uh, and everything else is... Um, I don't want to say a scam, but unnecessary uh, at, at, at best. Yeah. And uh, coming away from that conference, talking to people, I did tell a lot of people, I'm probably the closest that I've been to a Bitcoin maximalist at this point, <laughs> but I'm still definitely not a Bitcoin maximalist. I think there's a lot of room for others. So I like that I need to get better at saying it, but minimalist in the middle a little bit. Yeah, Mike, exactly. Yeah, so my kind of thought 
behind it was actually derived from fashion. So I'm not a fashionable person at all. But in fashion, you have like mini skirts, midi skirts or midi dresses and maxi. So maxi is like the longest. And, and I was in a similar position where like my kind of foundings in crypto were in Bitcoin. I read the white paper as a mathematician and just kind of fell in love with it. But I also just see so much value in other chains out there like Ethereum and the like great stuff they're doing. Zcash have done some like amazing protocol upgrades. Um, they had their NU5 upgrade recently, which was just like a huge step forward for kind of privacy and financial freedom. And so there's loads of other chains out there who I love the, the kind of maths of, the nerdiness of, and the, importantly, the use case of as well. So whilst, you know, my heart will always be like originally in Bitcoin, I do believe there's other valuable chains and missions out there. And so I didn't, I wouldn't want to kind of say I'm a Bitcoin minimalist because then that's kind of like anti-bitcoin so i was like what kind of terminology sits in the middle <laughs> of them and i was like a midi so i'm a yeah minimalist. Well, i want to get back to ethereum but because you brought that up with uh zcash and and privacy um where you know with with, with what happened recently with tornado cash and for for listeners uh, they've been sanctioned. And I believe even uh, one of the founders was arrested, wasn't he? Um, and with Tornado... One of the, one of the developers. developers. And what, what Tornado Cash is, very simply explained, is a crypto mixer. And the way that I try to kind of help people visualize this sometimes is if if um, if a police officer was chasing a criminal. Now, you don't have to be a criminal to use a mixer, to be clear, but the, that does tend to be a pretty common use case after some of these, especially state-sponsored groups, like a North Korean state-sponsored uh, group might put the cash through a mixer. And the way that I try to sometimes explain it to people is if, say, a police officer was following you and you were able to run through a door and all of a sudden you're in a room with 50 other doors and you can run through one of those doors and close it. And it just, it's, it, it doesn't guarantee that they'll never find you, but it definitely makes their job a lot more difficult. Do you think that's a, a fair way to kind of break it down simply? Yeah, I really, I really love that idea. Um, the one I usually go with uh, is, you know, like ball pits that like kids, yeah. like soft yep, plays. Yep, yep. I don't know what the like American terms are, but yeah. So it's it's like, you know, if, imagine that we all have like, I've got my little pile of, of balls here. You've got yours. And then we, uh, I know which ones are mine and you know which one's yours. But then we throw them into the ball pit and kids run around in them. And then I'm like, well, I want, 10 balls back but you're like well i'll just have to pick kind of 10 of any and you go in and you pick like 20 of any however many you had but it's all just one big mix of balls in this ball pit so it's really difficult slash you know almost impossible to kind of big, figure out like well which red one was the one you started with and which was the green one that you had in your pile like it's all just one big mix well and that, that's why i wanted to get back to that with zcash i mean what are your thoughts on that because th this gets beyond technical capabilities. This gets to how the industry and certain projects in the industry are going to react to uh, regulation and enforcement. Um, and it seems like with the tornado cash situation, although the, you have to admit that there are horrible use cases for that. And it certainly can be used for money laundering. And what we saw with the Axie Infinity hack, with the Ronin hack, um, I believe the the hackers used Tornado Cash or something similar to, to hide yeah. some of that money. But it does get to a point where 
to kind of back down in the face of that, uh, in the face of the, the government um, regulation or enforcement does go against what is kind of at the core philosophy of crypto world, which is going to be interesting just to see there are these two tracks. One is the more ideological track and one is the more practical track. And just even on the technology, even if you don't follow the ideological track, you can still mm. have giant improvements to the existing financial system. But then crypto almost becomes just another fintech innovation as opposed to what it could ultimately be that, uh, you know, especially people early mm. on, like really, which kind of the more crypto anarchist uh, type of mindset. So I, I'm <laughs> kind of rambling on there, but I just, what, what do you think about these these projects like Zcash? I mean, do you think they'll also get shut down or threatened or what will happen? There? So, yeah, so I really hope not. Um, I think all too often within, actually I was about to say within the industry, but I think it's more outside the industry. They conflate the need or the want for financial privacy with criminality so like it's just and I'll, I'll say it a million times if I have to but like not everyone that uses privacy orientated technology whether it's crypto or otherwise is a criminal so if we consider tornado cash for instance so uh, we you know we have extensive data on who's who in crypto uh, that's what we do here at elliptic and we found that around about 1.5 billion of the uh, 7.6 billion uh, worth of funds coming into and out from Tornado Cash was linked with sanctioned individuals, illicit actors. Uh, now, that's obviously going to be a lower bound. There will be other illicit linked activity that's going through. But hey, that's like 20 odd percent of the value flowing through, which even if we double that, actually, let's make it 50%. That means that 50% of that activity going through is not linked to illicit activity. So that's people who are donating to charity that don't want everyone in the world knowing. It's people that are sending it to countries like Afghanistan, for instance, to fund women who are living within an oppressed regime. It's people that have their salary paid in crypto and they don't want everyone to know uh, what they're paid. Like There's perfectly legitimate use cases that someone would want to use a mixer. And I wrote a, a piece about this uh, a, a couple of like maybe a week ago or something so definitely recommend people read it uh, because I wrote it because there was a lack of I couldn't find anywhere anyone that said here's a load of use cases which are legitimate so I was like I'll write that so yeah list a whole number of use cases on there for legitimate crypto to mix a use and I think it's really important that we remember those because what you've said is absolutely true you know you have the Ronin hackers have used tornado all sorts of scammers some of the, the worst people in the world have used tornado cash for crime but at its heart, it's a morally agnostic tool. It's created for financial privacy, not criminality. And that's why I think it's it's really interesting. And, and actually, personally, I find it very worrying that one of the developers has been arrested because what he wrote was some open source code for financial privacy. That is not a crime, writing open source code. And what we saw, uh, well, we saw, I was like a child, but uh, in the 90s was... Um, the cryptography wars. So uh, when PGP and other encryption technologies were being written, you had a crackdown by various governments across the world who basically were saying like, no, you shouldn't have the ability to encrypt information. And so you had all these cryptographers who started wearing like the code on t-shirts because they were like, 
we're working, like this is crazy. Like it's open source code for the good of humanity. And just because something can be used for crime doesn't mean that it should be automatically banned. You know, cars are used in hit and runs. Knives are used for uh, stabbing people as much as cutting up cucumbers. Like, you know, a lot of things that we have in life can be used for both the good or the bad to segment it in, into very kind of like, um, reductionist categories but i think it's really important when we consider certainly mixers and cryptocurrency that we don't just automatically rush to banning things because they're used by criminals let's like really consider how we can stop criminals using them in the first place let's figure out how we can stop them cashing out from them like here at elliptic Whilst uh, in many cases we can't trace directly through a mixer, although in many cases we actually can, um, we can at least tell you when stuff is coming into and out from a mixer. So you can then do enhanced due diligence on it to see, okay, well, this person is coming in from Tornado Cash. Maybe you consider that a risk. Well, what other information do you have on them? Okay, they work for UNICEF. Hmm. Okay, may, maybe we'll say that's okay yeah. then. Like you can build up a much broader picture of someone than just their on-chain activity. And you can build up way more on-chain activity than people think. And so, yeah, personally, I'm like a massive financial uh, kind of privacy advocate. Um, I work for a crypto compliance company and sometimes people are like, hang on, how does that work? Uh, but, you know, here at Elliptic, what we're trying to do is stop the bad guys using crim uh, crypto. The idea being that it's free and fair and safer for anyone else to use. And that doesn't mean the complete erosion of privacy. Definitely not. It means identifying the bad people using crypto. And if you're using crypto for perfectly legitimate purposes, like, my gosh, we don't want to stop you. We want to help you do that. Um, and so for me, I think it's a really important topic and I could, I could talk about it forever, as, as you can see. So I'll kind of wrap up before I take on the rest of uh, the show with it. But yeah, I just think it's a really important topic to be talking about and one that we like really need to be protecting financial privacy and crypto in as much th as we way that we protect it in our real lives. You know, I don't walk around with my salary written on the top of my forehead. I don't have to disclose my bank balance to you or anyone else. Like I have financial privacy in the real world and that is protected and it should be protected in the crypto space as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I would, I would very much agree with that. And I think it's great that someone in your position would take the initiative to write an article um, listing reasons that you might want to remain private that are not criminal in nature. But also, I think you and I think about this, at least this similarly, which is you can go and write about that because it's helpful for people to think about it. But you don't owe anyone an explanation of why you why you what that's like that's at the heart of privacy. If you're not doing something criminally, you don't have to explain to, to other people uh, why you want to remain private. And we've we've seen this kind of be I call it a quiet debate almost, which we're having this debate through our actions, <laughs> but people don't talk about it too much. That we definitely saw, uh, see with the big Web two companies, which I think a lot of people in crypto and Web three recognize this and see this and, and want to change this, where it's this um, you know algorithmically driven extractive uh, type business model. But we did get to a point where we said, um, "Well, isn't this an invasion of privacy?" And I think the resounding answer from the public has been that they don't care that much about the invasions of privacy. Maybe mm. because they don't realize. Uh, the extent uh, to which they are. I think I think if you gave everyone all of the information that Google had on them, uh, maybe it would, would change their minds about that a little bit. But So I agree. But then I think the crucial difference here, and, and this is why I think it's almost 
two arguments that get conflated is, um, so I'm a millennial, I get targeted ads all the time, and sometimes it's really useful, other times really annoying. Um, but I, you know, share so much data out there. But if I said to you, for instance, um, okay, Joe, show me, show me your uh, bank history, open up whoever you bank with, I want to go through it. You're probably going to be a bit uncomfortable with that. Like we don't know each other that well, but I'm guessing even if we were friends, you'd probably be a bit like, oh, I'm not sure yeah. I want to show you that. Is it because you're doing anything wrong? No, but it's because as humans, we have an expectation and a right that we just shouldn't have to reveal all that information if we don't want to. Likewise, you see a lot of people using ad blockers now because they're getting wise to the fact that maybe they don't want to share as much kind of social data about themselves. But I think financial privacy is one that you just cannot apply the if you're doing nothing wrong and you have nothing yeah. to hide, then you should be open to share it. Like, no, that's not that's not the case at all. It's innocent until proven guilty <laughs> in financial privacy. Like you might not want to share your full transaction history and it does not mean you're doing anything wrong. It's just because you shouldn't have to share it. Like, why should you make that information open to all? And I think that's what translates into the crypto space. Like, just because you use a mixer does not mean you're a criminal. Just because you don't want your full crypto transaction history open to the world does not mean you're doing anything wrong. It just mirrors the fact that you wouldn't open up your HSBC account and put, you know, that on Facebook for all. Yeah, no, I think I think another conflation there is with the, uh, the the people often make is with the private companies, and by private I mean non-government public companies, most of them, but you know publicly traded, but private in the sense that they're they're not government. When you agree to these terms and services that you might not really understand, but you have technically agreed mm -hmm. to them, and you're sharing your data with that, and there's that difference on on the business side, and that can be startling once you realize how much information they have on you but yeah. it's a little bit different than a government uh as well which is really what we're seeing with tornado cash where i mean they're being government sanctioned and you know here in the united states we have many amendments they're hard to make but but our constitution does allow for amendments and the fourth amendment to our constitution is uh, a prohibition on the government from unreasonable search and seizure. Uh, and that is completely yeah. centered around this idea of privacy and completely centered around this idea of you don't have to explain to someone why you're being private. They have to prove why uh, they're going to invade your privacy. Mm. So so they have to come <laughs> to you with, um, you know, with a warrant from a from a judge uh, saying, do we have probable cause to say that you're doing something wrong and we need to see behind the scenes? Other than that, in theory, legally, we're, we're, we don't have to explain ourselves. And so this actually in our constitution here in the United States is built into that. And now I'm not saying that that is necessarily the mindset shared by the general population at this point, but it is written into our constitution, which, which is completely yeah. this idea of privacy is a basic right. Uh, it's not something that needs to be yeah. explained. It's the opposite. You need to explain why you're going to invade someone's privacy. They don't have to explain to you why they want privacy. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting now to see kind of the repercussions of this OFAC designation. It was very much like thrust into the wild without any kind of guidance and, and certainly has caused a lot of challenges for, for everyone across the space. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see now, does OFAC provide any guidance in addition to just the wallets that they've sanctioned? Are they going to take any steps to punish people? Like, 
who, who knows what's going to happen next? And so I think that's going to be really interesting to kind of see what they do, what the industry does. There's already been a lot of outspoken people around the potential for censorship this causes at the kind of infrastructure, minor and soon valid data level on Ethereum. So, yeah, it's definitely one I'm keeping a close eye on from like a, a personal interest perspective. Yeah, me too. Else. And it, it'll be interesting to see wh what precedents are set uh, because if mm. if the industry just accepts that for what it is, then a precedent kind of is set. And I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but it makes me think of there's a really horrible shooting here a few years ago in San Bernardino in California. It was a horrific event. Uh, the authorities wanted access to the shooter's iPhone and Apple said no. And, uh, and, and I, I remember, yeah. what, I think the prevailing legal opinion on it was, was that the FBI was trying to set a legal precedent with big tech that we have a right for the sake of national security uh, to have a backdoor into these devices and into the software. And Apple said no. Now they, they went to, I believe, a firm out of Israel who was able to hack the phone, which I personally found it laughable that the FBI would act like they couldn't get into an iPhone anyway. I mean, I, I absolutely <laughs> believe that they can, but it gets back to the more important point is where they're trying to set a precedent and then the big tech companies have to kind of roll over and say, well, it is what it is. This is this is the precedent that's been set. This is how things operate now. So I really see this as a pivotal point in the crypto industry too for how, how companies react. And you know, th this is kind of a, a graphic way to, to put it, but there is a saying that first one through the door gets shot. And there, that, that be that's true over mm -hmm. and over in the crypto industry. I mean, I wrote an article last year called Clarity Costs $100 million. And it was about BlockFi, uh, going to court, I mm -hmm. think, and, 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 you know, reaching this, this settlement to get some regulatory clarity um, what a security was, which is is, is such an important yeah. question uh, in the crypto space right now. And you have, you know, actually Coinbase, and I don't blame them for this, and they're a publicly traded company, have a fiduciary duty to shareholders. But Coinbase at that time kind of backed down from their Lend product, if you remember, because yeah. it was like, is this classified as as a security? And, and BlockFi had been running a very similar program already. And I think, uh, I think Coinbase was a little bit frustrated and said, well, why us? You know, BlockFi and, and, and a bunch of others have actually <laughs> kind of had a very similar product for a long time, which was basically equivalent to a, a high yield savings account, uh, which you don't have to classify that way. And so anyway, long way to say BlockFi kind of paid the price for providing a little bit more clarity to mm -hmm. the industry. And I think uh, when it comes to privacy, we may see some of the same or we may see no one want to be the one who bears the brunt of being the one who stands up, right? Yeah, although I think the from what I'm seeing anyway, the you know, Tether, for instance, has said they're not automatically gonna blacklist addresses, which is a, a huge unless the US government basically forces them to, which is a really interesting move. Tether's like the biggest stable coin out there. Um and they're they're pushing back like that's the only way to say it on this you've got brian armstrong who's the ceo of coinbase and is an amazing advocate in the space for so much of what crypto is and decentralization is and he's come out and said that they would 
rather essentially cancel their staking service. And they have, I pulled the numbers the other day, I think it's $3.36 billion staked uh, ready for the, the merge. And he said we would rather drop the idea of a staking service than sensor blocks yeah. at the, the validator level. So he's willing to, and, and they pay or they would pay hundreds of millions of dollars worth that would be revenue for them coming in for that and he's willing to forego that for the principle of kind of anti-censorship and decentralization in the space like that is a really bold move that he's making they're a u.s regulated company personally i think it's amazing you've got someone that vocal in the space who's willing to like make a stand and so i think what we're already seeing is like early rebellion basically against it you've got uh, marathon for instance they're a mining company and i think it's last no it must be 2020 uh they put out this idea of this service they were going to do where they were going to basically pre-screen transactions before they put them in blocks and they would uh discard or not include transactions that didn't meet certain criteria for them uh, from like an anti-money laundering perspective and they put it out i think expecting everyone to be like this is wonderful um and they got a lot of industry backlash because everyone said well hang on you're going to censor transactions then we're not we're not cool with that and it just took a couple of months before they completely backtracked and said we're not doing that anymore cancelled we're like we're not going there and so we've seen kind of time and time again you know little examples where the idea of censorship and kind of anti-privacy and anti-financial privacy are coming into the sector and so far everything i'm seeing is actually a sector that's really quite like robustly willing to defend against that because it is such a core tenet of cryptocurrency and i think the really important thing to kind of note in all of this is let's go back to the data so back in 2013, you had roughly about 35% of Bitcoin transactions, and that was like the only cryptocurrency back then. Ethereum was a, a mere twinkle in Vitalik's eye at that point, didn't come around till 2015. Uh, and back then, around about 35% of Bitcoin transactions were linked to illicit activity. Like that is huge, like 35%. Now, there's a lot of figures out there from us and other blockchain analytics firms say it's it's less than 1%. Now, when you consider the link uh, towards illicit activity and fiat, roughly 2 to 5% of GDP is thought to be linked to money laundering illicit activity. That is, you know, trillions of dollars, more than the entire market cap of the entire cryptocurrency market. And so we have to think about perspective here. Yes, there is crime in crypto. We know, we run the data, we put out reports. I put out my crime in the metaverse report a few months ago. Great read, highly recommend. Uh, we put our NFT crime report out like just last week. We have all this data and we're looking at, okay, fundamentally how much crime is happening. And yeah, there is crime. And sometimes the numbers look pretty big, but the overwhelming majority of activity happening in crypto is speculation, it's remittance, it's innovation, it's not crime. And so if we come in too heavy handed with this, you know, the rhetoric that we used to see, you know, back when I certainly entered the industry of like, oh, isn't it just used by criminals? No, not anymore. So if we come in too heavy handed of, oh, North Korea using it, ban it. Oh, we're seeing illicit activity here, ban it. If we come too hard, then we're forgetting actually the vast majority of activity is perfectly legitimate. And we're going to stop that activity being able to happen if we just come down too hard because there does exist some level of criminal activity. So I think perspective is really important here. I would definitely recommend um, it's about 80 pages. It's a pretty heavy read. But I would really recommend uh, you have a look at our recent NFT report because actually we've done a bit of debunking there of the narrative. They're like, oh, NFTs are like massively used for money laundering and, and whatever. Spoiler, 
no, not as much as you think, actually a really small percentage. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good data to be having out there because we do have the data and we should be relying on the data much more when we think about how we should be regulating, how we should be kind of making uh, moves in the space to mitigate. Well, risk. I will add that report and, and a few of your other uh, links, Tara, to the uh, to the, the the show description here. I well, first back to NFTs. I mean, I I I feel that the NFT art world. I wrote about this recently. I feel that the NFT art world is as littered with crime and fraud as the traditional art world, which is more 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 a case mm. of um, of art <laughs> and what comes with it than it is with <laughs> nfts or crypto technology or whatever else i i'm looking forward to the, the the days when we can look a little bit over or a little bit past these early use cases and we we say time and time again in the crypto industry that technology often starts as entertainment or as a toy and we see that with yeah. nfts i don't want to say art is a toy but it's kind of that entertainment there's that entertainment aspect to it and i i'm, I'm looking forward to the time that we can get um get past that but getting back i also have this conflicting uh view in my head as well which one atria is all about education at the same time sometimes i wonder how much as an industry we really need to fight back against these narratives versus them just being a natural part of the evolution and maybe a natural part of the evolution is fighting back against them and that's the only way that they get conquered but you brought up earlier i mean if you go back to the 1990s the prevailing notion at the time both in private industry also from a government level and not authoritarian governments like the u.s government in the uk the, the prevailing yeah. notion was encryption would only be necessary for criminals uh uh so yeah. much of our technological infrastructure now relies on reliable encryption. Uh, when PayPal uh, came about, the prevailing notion was only criminals would need to send money on the Internet. So it just gets back to that history rhymes concept. And we see these narratives play out over and over again. And I don't know, like in the case of PayPal, I mean, they definitely combated those narratives at times and I know that their lawyers were very involved in working with the government to help them understand this. But, you know, do these narratives just go away over time because it's just part of the natural evolution anyway? And the next technology, we're going to say the same thing about. And hopefully you and I are not at a stage <laughs> yeah. in our lives and careers where we're the ones saying it about the new technology. So we have to always not accept everything, try, you know, trust but verify. <laughs> but this, is, this tends to be this just recurring thing it's kind of like a the older generation always saying that the younger generation has lost all moral mm. footing and work ethic and whatever else and then you look at human history and human progression we seem to be we <laughs> seem to be moving in a good direction yeah i think like a lot of these narratives cycle back around though. So I remember like the early time. So I was uh, trying to persuade, I worked at um, a bank at the time and I was trying to persuade them to get involved in Bitcoin. I was like, we could do a, an ETF style idea. We could help clients buy it. Like I had all these like ideas and, um, you know, plucky little graduate me at the time they were like first of all who who is this graduate in the room and second of all why is she talking about magic internet money that's only used by criminals and so that was like my first kind of experience of uh, mixing my passion of crypto and the tradfi world is they said time and time again isn't this just used by criminals 
and I could come with all the data that I had at the time, um, talking to companies weirdly like Elliptic uh, way back then, looking at their reports and saying, no, there's loads of evidence. And they were just like, oh, the evidence must be wrong. And then it kind of got to, you know, 2017, 2018 with all the ICO scams. Um, and so then you got the narrative, oh, but isn't it just used by criminals? And then the DeFi summer came along in 2021 and 2022. And uh, again, everyone was like, oh, but isn't DeFi just crime? And you're like, oh, okay, so you said yeah. that before the last time. And so you see the same pattern again and again. We'll see it with the metaverse. We'll see the same criminal typologies being recycled. Uh, I talk about this in my report quite a lot. Copy and paste. Uh, Criminals are so lazy at times. They just copy and paste the same typologies and change the word from DeFi to Metaverse. Um, but then there's also new typologies. They get a, a little bit innovative as well. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Tara Anison, head of technical crypto advisory at Elliptic. Please head over to part two, where we talk about Bitcoin mining narratives, the future of Ethereum, whether censorship really exists in crypto, and recent bridge exploits. As always, please remember to subscribe and leave a review of the Atria podcast as it helps us reach a broader audience and rank higher. Thanks.